At this time, if you're able, please stand for the scripture reading out of respect for God's word. Uh, If you're using a table Bible, I believe it's page 518. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. This is God's word. It is true, and it is given out of his love. You may be seated. All right. Thank you, Alyssa. Well, my name is David, um, and I have the privilege of introducing Justin Brody. Uh, Justin is a church planting resident at the Village Church in Dallas, Texas, where he has been in an 18-month residency to develop personal character, biblical theology, and ministry practices. Before that, he served as an associate pastor and spent some time in business. He has been married to Cherish for eight years, and they have four kids together, Lacey, Braley, Beckham, and Lincoln. Uh, Together, they feel the Lord calling them to start a new church in the next year and excited and are excited about what the Lord has in store. So one of the reasons we have invited Justin to come and preach for us this summer is that he will be planting in Superior, Colorado, and we hope to partner with him in that endeavor. So I'm going to welcome Justin. Hey guys, you know that you're the one from Texas when uh, you're the only one wearing a long sleeve shirt because you thought it'd be cold in Colorado, but apparently it's, you know, 90 degrees is warm, but compared to 150, like it, it kind of is pretty cold here. Um, as David was saying, uh, I am a church planting resident from Dallas, Texas, and I got to break some news. Um, we actually have been on track to plant in Superior, which is in Boulder County, Colorado, for quite a while now. And that's how I met Colbert, like through that conversation. Uh, but just this past week, as of Friday, all eight elders affirmed that God is actually redirecting us in this season uh, to plant in my hometown of Carrollton, Texas. And so, like, shocker, uh, a lot of weight there was not really what we wanted to do. We still hoped that like, God would lead us back out this direction because, um, like, my heart's here. Like, we, when I landed in the plane yesterday and I sat on the ground looking up at the beauty of Colorado, I was like, God, I belong here. And yet, like, he has obedience for us in Carrollton for this season. And so I just wanted to lay that before you. That, would you pray for us in that? That, like, I've already announced that I'm a Broncos fan to my <laughs> Dallas friends. Like, I've already said we got Russell Wilson you know, and we're due for a Super Bowl here coming up, and so I'm getting beat up down there. And I can't go back. Like, that's out there. You know, I can't go back now. So, um, yeah, I just need prayer. Um, yeah, my wife and I have eight, four kids, um, Lacey Braley Beckham and Lincoln, one seventeen. 
uh, one seven months, so one just got into a car, went into a car seat, wide range of chaos in uh, the Brody home. But yeah, we are so grateful to be here. Got to meet Colbert through this whole conversation and due to such a nice, gracious, kind man. Like I just made it my new life goal to become like Colbert. And so uh, grateful to serve, been praying for you guys for a while. I'm going to continue this morning in the theme of rest. I know that you guys have been talking about rest this summer, and so I want to press into that. And I want to talk about a specific subject around rest that I don't think we talk about a lot as a church. And that subject is actually sleep. Uh, sleep is something that I know that we all, we all need, right? We all, we all have to have, and yet like not many of us would probably say that we really enjoy it or that we, we really uh, get enough of it, right? And so just by a quick show of hands, like who would say that you kind of struggle with some sleep? Like sleep's not really something you do well with. All right, so, so most of us in the room, and that's, that's me too, right? I mean, the average American uh, spends six and a half hours sleeping, while the physicians across the country would say a minimum of what we need is seven hours. A preferred amount of sleep that they suggest is nine hours. And some of them saying, ideally, get up to 11 or 12. Like, what? But that's what they're saying, right? And if we don't get that amount of sleep, what happens is we degrade. Our physical bodies decline. Our health declines. Our minds get foggy. We even lose some, like, our lifespan decreases because of that. And so, like, today I want to give you a simple encouragement. Like, in the Lord, let's just go to sleep. Like, that's it. Like, let's, let's go, to, let's take a nap while we're here, right? Would that be okay? No, but literally, I, I want us to embrace this gift of sleep that God has for us. And so we're going to be in Psalm 127, uh, and we're going to do those first two verses. That's it. So if you can go ahead and open your Bible, your app, whatever you got. We're going to be in Psalm 127, verse 1 and 2. And a little bit about this, uh, this psalm as we, as we turn there is this is actually a song of ascent. And so... In the Psalms, there's 15 of these types of Psalms. And the Song of Ascent means it was basically a song that was sang by a Jewish family that was on their way to a Jewish festival. And they did this like once, maybe three times a year. They kind of get in the, just like you would get into a car and go on a road trip. And like you and your family kind of get together and you put on that classic tune that everybody's favorite. They're all celebrating and having a fun time because they know they're going to that spot. That's what the Song of Ascent was for these families. And so the spirit behind the psalm is actually of celebration. And this is the only psalm of the Songs of Ascent that's written and ascribed to Solomon, and the only song that's celebrating sleep. And yet, what we're going to see before we get to how we find good sleep are two frustrations around sleep, namely with anxiety. And so there's this phrase in the Latin, and forgive me if you know Latin if I butcher this, Nisi Dominus frustra. Without the Lord, frustration. Nisi dominus frustra. Without the Lord, frustration. And that's coming from this very psalm. And so we're going to start there. We're going to start with seeing an anxious type of work, which is a frustration that leads to poor sleep. And then we're going to see an anxious type of sleep that causes all kinds of turmoil. And at the end of this, we are going to see a sleep that works, but first we're going to have to sort through the frustrations. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll read our text. Father, I do pray right now that you just open our eyes to see the text. Lord, that you would allow us the grace 
this morning to receive the gift of sleep in ways maybe we haven't been, maybe ways we've been neglecting it. I just pray that you give us the, the space right now to hear from your word and be encouraged by what you promise is good. That's in Jesus' name I ask those things. Amen. Okay, first, an anxious type of work. It says, it is in vain that you rise up early, eating the bread of anxious toil. And this is how it begins. It is in vain that you rise up, or, oh, excuse me, in verse 1, excuse me, verse 1 and verse 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. And so an anxious type of work is first. Notice how it says, it is in vain that you rise up early, eating the bread of anxious toil. Now, it's interesting that Solomon wrote this because Solomon is uh, pretty much well known for the amount of hard work that he does. Uh, guy was a hard worker. He was known for building cities. He established the international trade lines in Jerusalem during his time. Uh, he's most well known for building the first Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And so the guy is undoubtedly you know, a builder, a worker. He established his own palace in that place. He established a place called the Hall of Pillars and the Hall of Justice. And so the guy was a worker by any of today's means. Any of today's standards, the guy would be called a high-achieving person. And so it's crazy to see that he's kind of saying, this hard worker is saying, be careful around this hard work. Now, we know in other Proverbs, uh, Solomon has written, like, for example, in Proverbs 14, where he said that mere talk only leads to poverty, but work hard leads to gain. And then he says in Proverbs 31 about the, the diligent, godly woman in that passage, where he says that she rises up early before the sun gets up. And she's considered blessed for doing that, working hard for her family and for the work around the house. And that's a blessing. And so why would he then give us a warning around work when he obviously encourages us to work hard in other places? And he was definitely a hard worker. And I think the answer to that seeming contradiction is this. The frustration here, it isn't rising up early that's causing the problem. The frustration is rising up early in vain. There's something about that vanity. Now, you hear the word vanity in today's culture. You may have like a, you know, your own preconceived idea of what that is. One scholar says of vanity here being displayed is someone who takes great pains to increase their position. Someone who's going to take great pains to increase their own position. So you may not think of yourself as vain, but if, have I ever been a person, have I ever done anything that would take great pains upon myself or other people that would increase my own position. For example, have I ever taken great sacrifice of my health so that I could increase my wealth? Have I ever sacrificed some relationships on the altars of ambition? Have I ever um, taken shortcuts and done things that cut corners so that I could achieve my own version of success? And I'm like, yes, like, I know that I have done the, all of those things, and yet in the indicators of those questions, what's happening is it's not the hard work that's the problem. It's that somehow vanity has slipped into my heart and has taken root, and the motivation for my work has changed. Now I'm motivated for self as the end result. 
It is my comfort that I'm now chasing. It is my freedom that I'm now pursuing. It is my own significance that I now want. And I'm willing to take great pains upon my own life and upon the life of other people for me to get there. When I was just finishing business school uh, in my 20s, I had just... uh, got the chance to go start a business. Uh, I bought into one and took it and, and began to grow it. And uh, within a couple of months, some accounts had come my way and things were growing uh, faster than I had thought. And I was like, I was pretty young, didn't know what to do with that. I'm like, all these people are paying me money. I don't know. I guess I should be responsible and hire some people. And so I did. And although I had like started this company with the mindset that it would be this kingdom principled business and I'd serve people, take care of people really well. And that was my desire. Like as soon as success started rolling in, my, 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 my heart began to change. All of a sudden I was about growth. Like five accounts, man, I need 10, 10 minutes, I needed 20. And the next thing you know, like that's what I cared about most. And I began eating the bread of anxious toil. And then I was waking up at 3.45, 4 o'clock in the morning. Why? Because I thought that I, if I woke up before everybody else, I'd have the biggest competitive advantage. I'd get them all. I'm up before you. I win. But I was anxious. And I was running around. And nothing I could do would ever be enough. And I was going to take great pains upon myself and upon other people in order for me to get what I wanted. I remember missing basically my entire first year, or my, my daughter's first year of her life, basically. Because I was so stuck in an office trying to work my way up that I missed it. And I I discounted it because I was like, well, I'm trying to provide. But really, I was trying to increase my position. Now, I know some of you may hear me say, you know, a story like that and think, yeah, but, you know, business is awesome. You know, I love my job, and that's great. Like, hey, press in. Like, Solomon was a builder, right? God commanded him to build a temple through Nathan the prophet and his father. And so he's not saying don't build. What he's saying is that if vanity slips into my work, it's going to create and anxious toil. Now, the King James Version is really amazing. It, in, this, in, this trans, in this translation, it says that this anxious toil is called the bread of sorrows. I love the way that's put, because it really is a bread of sorrows. And you know you're eating from the bread of sorrows. That's your nutrition. That's your diet. When your job is no longer satiable, you just can't get enough of it. No matter what you do, you're just discontent with the work. And so you try and find a different job. Maybe this job will satisfy me. Let me change this job. Maybe this job will satisfy me. And no matter how much we do in the work, we never feel like we're doing good enough. I put all this time in, and no matter how much time I put in, I can never find enough time. And no matter how much work I do, I'm comparing myself to other people, saying they're doing the better job. And I just don't measure up. And somehow my identity, somewhere along the way, gets placed into my work. And I begin to base my own worth on the performance of my job. And I'm crushed underneath the weight of that work. And then the voices come in, the critics, the satanic accusers come in and tell me I should be ashamed and guilty and condemned for the awful worker that I am, for the terrible father or mother that I am. And I begin to believe these voices. And I think what I need to do is work harder and get out of this anxious toil. And I get stuck in this cycle. And this is what we got to get out of. This is the anxious toil the frustration without the Lord he's warning us of. The second thing we're going to see here in this text is an anxious type of sleep. So that's an anxious type of work. Now let's look at an anxious type of sleep. Notice then it says, it is in vain 
that you go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. It is in vain that you go late to rest, not just that you rise up early, but also that you go late to rest, which also leads to the bread of anxious toil, the bread of sorrows. Now, I know some of you read that text and you're probably like, hey, you're the night owl, right? And you're like, don't, don't offend me like that. I stay up late and get things done. Because there's, there's a difference between the early bird and the night owl, right? Like, and I understand that. I'm the early bird. My mom was the night owl. She would be productive at like 12 a.m. And I don't know how she did that. But that was her thing. And I don't, so I don't think Solomon is, is, is condemning the night owl in this. I think what he's saying is it's not that the, the frustration found here is not the time that we go to sleep. Not what time of day but it's the time we spend avoiding sleep. The time we spend avoiding the sleep we know we should be getting. Now, we defined vanity a minute ago as as a person who is taking great pains to increase their position. A second way to define that is a person who's willing to take great pains upon themselves and others to increase their own pleasures. To increase their own pleasures. Now, how many of us would say that we should be going to bed earlier than we do and what's keeping us up at night is scrolling through another news feed, is binge watching uh, that, that one show that we've already seen twice or three times or just getting stuck in some state of mindlessness that we know really isn't productive or serving us in any way. We kind of masquerade it as rest, but really is it giving us rest? Or is it just wasting our time? And look, I know the pleasure that comes from it. There's a dopamine rush that you get from scrolling and pressing and clicking and browsing. But the problem is that pleasure is unsatisfied, so we need more. And we need more, more scrolling, more clicking, more likes, more shows, more binging. And the question becomes, when is that going to be enough? Like, when do I stop? And now some of you might be saying back to me, yeah, but I need to wind down. Like, I need to, I need to have my space. And I, I get that. Like, I'm that way too. But Solomon's not saying, like, hey, if you need some space to wind down, that's fine. He's saying, when it becomes vanity, it becomes about me soaking up and getting all the pleasure I can at the pain of my own life and those around me. What should I be doing in this moment? Because most likely, like, social media, for most of us, is an escape from something we should be doing. A lot of the time. Not all the time. But ask myself, am I escaping something that I should be doing right now? by running to my screen. And the responsibility that we often need to be doing at night, at least, or in the morning, is just going to sleep. Just go to sleep. And so, there's an anxious type of work and an anxious type of sleep. Now, in his book called Reset, I don't have this on the screen for you, but I'll just read this slowly. A guy named David Murray highlights three consequences of avoiding our sleep. Here's a physical consequence. He says, just one week of sleeping fewer than six hours a night results in damaging, damaging changes to more than 700 genes, coronary, coronary narrowing, and signs of brain tissue loss. Sleep loss also increases stroke, cancer, heart disease, hunger, portion size, and preference for carbs. You know you're tired and you want some french fries. Like, that's just how it goes. You want to get the cheat meal when you're tired. 
An emotional consequence is people with insomnia or regular sleep deprivation are ten times more likely to develop anxiety and depression. A clinician says, every anxious person I've ever met, bold statement, has been in denial about how little sleep they get or they're overlooking the fact that they go to bed at random hours every night without routine. Amen? Guilty. The moral consequence is this. Studies show that a lack of sleep depletes and weakens the brain's self-control center, leading to higher levels of unethical behavior. So one man came in for counseling, and he says that he was convicted of driving under the influence of alcohol and admitted that he was only sleeping three to four hours a night, which made him drink more and more and more. The more sleep he lost, the worse things became. And so here's just a few things of what can happen when we just choose to neglect the gift of God's sleep he wants to give us, and we begin to work in that anxious toil. And I know what the day looks like. Like, I know what my day looks like when I don't get sleep. I know when it begins in that morning anxiety, and my my mind is racing about the things that I was just thinking about the night before, but not not only that, but I'm now more anxious because I'm tired, and I didn't give my brain the chance to to recharge, and then what happens is I I become irritable. And who am I going to take that irritability out on? The people closest to me, my wife, my kids, they bear the weight. They're just asking for cereal. Why are you upset? Right? And then I get impatient because whenever you're exhausted, you can't help but be impatient. You just don't have the resources in you. And then what happens is decision-making becomes all kinds of foggy. Because when you're exhausted and when you're tired, your decisions, you, you just want to make them real quick and get them done with and get them out of the way. You don't have time to think through those decisions or you just put the decisions off. And it's like, I don't want to think about this. I don't have the energy for this. So we just ignore the right decisions. And so we become irrational in our decision making. And lastly, I think um, maybe more, most importantly, is that we become easy targets for Satan. Who does Satan go after? He's attacking the weak ones. And the weak ones are often the tired ones. And so he knows whenever I'm down and I'm exhausted, Satan's like, hey, go get this one. Dude's exhausted. His, his defense shield is down. And so demons, get ready and attack this guy. He's weak. He's going to fall into temptation. And don't think that Satan doesn't have a strategy like that, because he does. And so we've got to get out of this cycle of anxious sleep, because we're weakening ourselves and wrecking our lives in the process. The frustrations of anxious work and anxious sleep. Now, some objections. I know there's some people in the room. I know. For example, I know moms. You're looking at me like, brother, you don't know nothing about what you're talking about with sleep. Look, I get it. We have a newborn, and there are seasons and spaces in which God's going to bless you to get sleep in extraordinary ways. And he's going to pour in grace in your life in those seasons that you can't explain. And you're going to feel rested in ways you don't know how. And I'm talking more about like the normative situations. All right? If you've got like seven kids, ten kids, like, and you're just struggling, like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our normative day-to-day life. Now, for those of you who may be saying, yeah, but I've tried this stuff. I've tried to sleep. It just doesn't work for me. 
Like my body just doesn't want to sleep. I've tried the I've tried the, the medicine, I've tried all the stuff, I've tried all the things, and I just can't give it, I've given up on sleep. Like, hey, I'm that guy. Like my whole life, hated going to bed, hated, uh, wanted to wake up first thing. Never liked sleep my entire life. I get it. Like, a whole family takes melatonin, right? And so, like, there's a, there's a time and a space for that, but I just don't want you to give up too soon on the gift that God is giving here. Because if he has designed us for sleep, and the evidence suggests that he has, right? The evidence says that we should sleep, and his word is promising that there's a gift involved in it, then I think we should fight for it. I think we should fight for it. And so that brings us to a type of sleep that works, like a really good sleep. Who wants to get a really good night's rest, right? Like, that's what I'm talking about. So let's look at that. How do we find a sleep that works? Now, to summarize the, uh, the two verses... Remember, unless the Lord frustration, unless the Lord frustration, but if the Lord, if the Lord builds the house and watches the city, he gives, he gifts to his beloved sleep. If the Lord watches and the Lord builds, he gives to his beloved sleep. Now, I want you to use some imagination for just a moment. Imagine... Solomon, sitting outside of his temple, and supposed 10,000 square foot temple at that. Imagine that real estate going up in the past two years. Looking over the wonderful city of Jerusalem that it was. And remember, like two generations ago, Jerusalem was just like a fortress. But through the work that they had done, it had become this royal, bustling city of beauty. And imagine all of the hard work that would have gone into that. Like, from the architecting, to the engineering, to the planning, to the designing, to the staffing, and the recruiting for all of it, for the financial backing that it would have took to take all of what Jerusalem was and make it to what it is. Like, that would have been a lot of work. And then imagine him sitting in that space, looking out over the city and all the work that he had done, and still saying in, like, the quiet of his conscience, if the Lord had not built this, I would have built in vain. If the Lord had not watched over this, I would have been watching in vain. And yet because he did, and because I trust him, you know what I can do? I can step back from the pressures of building and watching in my life, and I can lay down at his feet all the stresses and worries and concerns that I have, knowing that it's not upon my own human effort that I succeed but in full dependence upon him who builds and him who watches. And so I can get back into my room, close the door on the day, leave yesterday where it was, lay in my bed, and go to sleep. And go to sleep. And I know some of you have probably been thinking during this time, like, okay, how can I rewire my work-life balance and get those things checked off? Or can I go and get to the Play Store and download some of those sleep apps, you know? And those are great. Like, I have the app, you know, where it's like uh, in the morning to wake up. I have to take a selfie of myself smiling the first thing in the morning. It's the worst app ever invented because you do not want to see yourself smile first. It's just the ugliest little thing, and you got to do it four times. It's awful, but it works. And so I do it. And now I don't want you to leave here today thinking that what we need to do is go find a bunch of life hacks, 
and just kind of hack ourselves back into routine and rest and sleep. Is that, I, I think that may work for a week or two or three, but if our heart doesn't change, our life will go right back to the way it was. And even Solomon messed up a lot of the stuff he says to do. So what am I, what am I offering? Well, there was one person. There was one person who outmodeled perfect work and perfect rest. A thousand years after the person of Solomon, God enters into the human story through a person named Jesus who models in human experience what it's like to walk in perfect peace and perfect work with the Father. Enjoying his work and being obedient in his work and then walking in perfect dependence. Enjoying the rest he had as he went along in his day depending on the power of the Father. I mean, and the guy knew how to sleep. And here's my argument for that. You guys know the the story about Jesus calming the storm? Hey, okay, look. In that story, right before he calms the storm, what's he doing? He's sleeping. Hey, and if there's like a miniature hurricane going on, like busting against the boat, wind and waves, and you're sleeping through that, like, you know how to get some sleep, right? And so it's this person, this man, this man of God and God of man that steps into the human experience and is prophesied by the um, prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, who's prophesied that when he comes into the human story, he wouldn't be coming as some high and mighty Thor-like figure. But when he entered, he would enter in as the man of sorrows. The man of sorrows, weak and beaten and called to suffering, and that in obedience he would take on humanity's anxious toil upon his shoulders and wear it upon himself, burdening his own life with the bread of sorrows and going to the cross and then paying for all the weight, sin, shame, and suffering that we have deserved. And in exchange for him taking the bread of sorrow that I've deserved, that I've, that I've made and I can't get out of, he gives me in exchange for that bread of life. It says in John chapter 6, that Jesus self-references to himself, I am the bread of life. Anyone who comes to me will not hunger. And so what he's offering is a a type of bread that that will satisfy, whereas the bread of anxious toil will never satisfy, will never be content, will never have enough. This bread in Jesus that he offers is a bread of life that fully satisfies and can bring enjoyment and pleasure and good things into any job that we have when we're working for Jesus. Now, when it comes to bread, this is the part I love. When it comes to bread, anybody can eat from bread. Anybody. You don't have to fix yourself up and get all churchy. You don't have to. Only reason I'm wearing this long sleeve shirt today and all you guys are in t-shirts is because I thought it might be cold. I was wrong. You don't have to dress all up and get all churchy, right? You don't have to like, change who you are and become all religious. You just have to come and eat some bread. Like a skeptic who doesn't know anything about Jesus can still have some bread. That's the invitation. A saint who's been walking with Jesus for 40 years can still come to the table and have some bread. Like the educated person, the business person, the child and the teacher and the mom alike can all come in and simply sit at his table and have some bread. That's the simplicity of his invitation. I can exchange my anxious toil for the one who wants to give me the bread of life. And when I do that, when I step into trusting him and depending on Jesus, I can look out over the things I'm building in my life my career, my education, 
my family, my home, my grandparents, my legacy, my financial situation. I can look out over what I'm watching, my real estate market, my financial investment, the stock market, whatever security I'm looking for. I can look out over these things and say, man, but if the Lord doesn't build this, I build in vain. If the Lord isn't watching over this, I'm watching in vain. And so because I've trusted Jesus, I can step back out of my day, leave the weight and the pressures where they belong. He's the creator. I'm the creature. I'm going to step back into my room, close the door, and get some sleep. And get some sleep. Two positive consequences of sleeping mentioned in David Murray's book. He says, this is a testimony. When I began to sleep eight hours a night, my physical health problems cleared up, my emotions balanced out, and my anxiety disappeared. He says, eight hours of sleep was a miracle pill. A second story from uh, Lubbock University found that people who slept eight hours a night were twice as likely to solve problems than those who did it because their brains had been physically renewed overnight, making new neural connections so they could achieve more in less time. So sleeping more doesn't actually make us less productive. Sleeping more actually can make us more productive, and that's how we can find a sleep that works. And so we need to avoid the two frustrations of anxiety and vanity, working the bread of anxious toil around our work, around our sleep, trusting in Jesus and receiving that gift of sleep in our lives today. Okay? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go into some time of discussion. Um, I believe that's next, right? Okay. And then as we discuss, just know that it's a safe place here. If you've never been a part of this before, it's my first time too. But it's a safe place to interact and have dialogue around any um, part of authenticity. Any, any authenticity you need to bring to the table. And so feel free uh, to just share what's on your heart and allow the Spirit of God to lead you in that discussion, all right? Father, I just want to thank you that um, you've given us this amazing gift of sleep, this chance, this reminder, this daily reminder that we are not in control, this daily reminder that it doesn't depend on our effort, this daily reminder that you, God, are our power, and our strength, and that we can give you full control to look over our cities, to look over our families, to look over our work without any anxiety, because you can be trusted. So I just pray that, I pray that we receive that gift this week as we leave from here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, that was great to spend just a few minutes discussing sleep and the gospel and the connections. Um, so now at this point, uh, we get to turn toward uh, the communion table and coming back to worship in song. And uh, what, a, what a great setup, the, the bread of toil um, and how much of, of our week is spent with the bread of toil. But here, here we get uh, the bread of life. That's awesome. Um, such a great setup uh, for the communion table. Um, so... Uh, at this point, um, as we do uh, have the communion table, this is Christ's body broken for us, Christ's 
blood poured out for us. It is the the bread of life. Um, It is wonderful. So if you are a Christian, this is a a blessing for you uh, to get to be nourished by the body and blood of Christ. If you are not yet a Christian, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, um, that's something you can do today. Um, But we'd ask that you would wait. Um, We can pray with us. My wife and I are going to be over there under the basketball hoop if you need some prayer. Um, And uh, you can believe in Jesus today. So um, as we we take this uh, during the next few songs, you can come up and take the communion and let's work.